Hare Krishna and uh, welcome to this uh, series on GBC history, on the history of the governing body commission of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. Founder Acharya is Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. Today is the third part and this is uh, by the GBC strategic planning team. Let's start with the PowerPoint. So uh, we entitled this series, All You Always Wanted to Know About the GVC, but we're hesitant to ask. Next. On the, the first part, we discussed how in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, the traditional approach to leadership is collective and collegial. We use the analogy of the Goloka approach and the Vaikuntha approach. Next, we also stressed on instructions from Srila Prabhupada how he wanted the GBC to lead a worldwide society, a worldwide organization. And also Srila Prabhupada wanted the GBC to be spiritual leaders, not just managers and administrators. Next, in part two, we gave uh, a quick overview of uh, Srila Prabhupada physical presence and the GBC from 1970, 1977. Those seven years in which uh, after Srila Prabhupada established the GBC and he was guiding the GBC till his departure. Next. We touched on the direction of management, the document that established the GBC and the changes Srila Prabhupada himself made changing some of the uh, directives, uh, the guidelines that were in the document. Also, we touched on how ISKCON and the world was very different than, than today. Next. So today we have part three. Did the zonal acharyas eclipse the GBC. Okay, so we can go off the PowerPoint to introduce our super special guest, very extraordinary guest, His Holiness Ridayananda Dasko Swami Maharaj. Thank you so much, Maharaj, for accepting our invitation. Maharaj is a disciple of Srila Prabhupada. He joined ISKCON in 1969. Srila Prabhupada made him a GBC in 1974 with the responsibility of the whole Latin America. There he opened dozens of centers, organized massive production and distribution of Srila Prabhupada books in Spanish, in Portuguese. And he was one of the initial 11 initiating spiritual masters of ISKCON after Srila Prabhupada's disappearance. So therefore, he is one of the direct protagonists of the history we are studying. Hmm? So he is not only an historical personality, he is also an historian. And therefore, is uh, outstandingly qualified to talk about that, that period. Hmm. 
Now, uh, I could go on for the whole event uh, introducing him, but you're not <laughs> here for this. There will be more information, of course, in the event. Uh, we put some more biographical uh, items. And uh, he has retired from the GBC a couple of years ago. I believe in Vedic literature, retiring from GBC is listed as the sixth form of liberation or mukti or something like that. And of course, it's very famous in, in, in India, in, not in India, in ISKCON, because he completed Srila Prabhupada Srimad Bhagavatam project along with his team. Srila Prabhupada translated about two thirds of the Srimad Bhagavatam and Maharaj, the remaining third. He has a PhD in Sanskrit and Indian studies, has written several books, papers, articles. He speaks Portuguese, Spanish, French, Italian, and German. He is an eclectic and volcanic intellectual. <laughs> and as a bold innovator, he has his share of critics, some of whom I suspect are here with us today. Haribol critics. <laughs> so, thank you so much, Maharaj, for joining us. And uh, let's go back to the PowerPoint. Uh, give me, a, 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 please allow me a few minutes to introduce the, the topic, frame the discussion, and then we'll hear from you. Next. Okay, let's start from a few excerpts from this paper from Ravindra Prabhu. Here we see him with Srila Prabhupada. The paper is entitled Cleaning House and Cleaning Hearts, Reform and Renewal in ISKCON. A paper from 1994. I'm not saying that this is the official position of ISKCON on this topic, but certainly it's widely accepted as a narrative of the period. Next. So, Ravinder Saruprabhu writes, in July 1977, Srila Prabhupada selected 11 members of the GBC, then 20 in number, to begin acting at once as officiating gurus, meaning they were giving initiation on behalf of Srila Prabhupada. Next. Thus, the GBC understood Srila Prabhupada to have chosen the first initiating gurus to succeed him. Next. After Srila Prabhupada's demise in November 1977, those 11 members quickly became elevated in an extraordinary way above all other devotees in the movement, even their colleagues on the GBC. Next. Here we have uh, a picture yeah, from 1978, uh, and we see the first uh, 11 uh, initiating spiritual masters in ISKCON from uh, left to right, uh, uh, we use the, the name at that time, Harikesh Maharaj, Jayatirtha Prabhu, Hamsadutta Maharaj, Haridananda Maharaj, Rameshwar Maharaj, Bhagavan Maharaj, K. 
कीर्तनानंद महाराज थामर कृष्ण महाराज सत्स्वरूप महाराज भावनानंद महाराज एंड जयपताका महाराज नेक्स्ट Ravindra Subrabhu continues within the GBC the gurus formed a special subcommittee which had jurisdiction on all matters concerning gurus and initiation including the exclusive power to appoint any new gurus and to deal with any problems concerning gurus next the zonal acharya position had asserted it was intrinsic to the position of guru to be absolute and it professed that the gurus would voluntarily sacrifice their that position for the sake of the movement this implied that by working with the gbc the gurus were doing something unnatural or artificial this ends the excerpt from the paper and now we go next to to gbc resolutions from that year 1978 from the first year in which the gbc met without the problem next 19 march 1978 resolution number 16 the gbc will consider each year at gorpunima this is the original spelling appointment of new spiritual masters to be approved by a 3/4 vote 75% of the vote however for 1978 no new spiritual masters shall be appointed other than the 11 selected by shila prabhupada then what happened apparently there was a delegation of the gbc who went uh, at uh, meet uh, a very senior god brothers of shila prapa shila bhakti rakshak shridhar maharaj a friendly and very scholarly and benevolent uh, spiritual leader and the gbc asked a number of questions on uh, guru succession on how god brothers of the guru should deal our disciples of the of the god brothers should deal and so on and so forth now after a couple of days there's another gbc resolution which amends the one we have on the screen next 21st march 1978 a gbc committee will be formed consisting of gbc members who are initiating gurus they will choose new gurus once per year in mayapur this is an amendment to resolution number 16 of march 19 this was uh, this committee was uh, referred to as the acharya board and alongside this uh, resolutions there was also a paper produced by the gbc explaining the approach next and last slide before we ask maraj to enlighten us from a paper by the gbc march 1978 how will more gurus be added 
those who are already empowered to initiate will extend the number by their consideration. In this way, it will have spiritual characteristics. The 11 picked by his divine grace will extend themselves. The area of initiating gurus should spread from this point, bigger, bigger, bigger. So, it seems that connecting to the title of today's episode, it's a question. Did uh, the gurus, did the acharyas, did the zonal acharyas eclipse, cover the power of the GBC by arrogating the role of choosing the next gurus by their consideration? That's the uh, question on the table. Of course, let me just point out the expression zonal acharya, I don't believe was ever officially uh, adopted, but has become uh, a, a colloquial term to define uh, that particular period in history and those particular devotees who were serving as uh, simultaneously as gurus, as GBC, and they were initiating in a particular area of the world. Maharaj. Yes, maybe we can remove that little PowerPoint. Yes, yes. So please tell, yes. tell us um, what was going on. Thank you very much for inviting me, and uh, it's a great opportunity to clarify real ISKCON history as opposed to mythological history. And uh, I would like to begin by saying that my dear godbrother Rabindra Saroop made a lot of mistakes in his analysis, which I will demonstrate now. Uh, as far as the resolutions, uh, they were, of course, as shown. I'm not disputing the, uh, the documents. Those are real documents that are as shown. However, the basic point is that uh, in practice, in the real world, not uh, a resolution that was passed in 1978 when everyone was grieving and Prabhupada just left and he had said that sometimes we could consult with his god brothers and we went to see Sridhar Swami who essentially, and this is very clear if you look at the transcript of that conversation, a small group of GBC members, uh, Kirtananda, Sasarupa, and a few others went and spoke to him. And if you read the transcript, it, it's it's obvious that uh, with all due respect for that venerable Vaishnav, he urged us to do something which would directly uh, go against Prabhupada's instruction. Prabhupada in the first uh, the article of his last will and testament said, the GBC shall be the ultimate managing authority for all of ISKCON. Sridhar Swami basically urged us to do the very thing that destroyed the Gaudiya Math as a unified organization. Namely, rather than uh, forming a GBC body, as Prabhupada very clearly narrates the history, uh, Sridhar Swami, among others, urged the selecting of a new Acharya, which still goes on, by the way, in his line. And he urged us to understand something which, of course, is wrong, that, um, that the GBC cannot govern the gurus, because uh, G the GBC cannot tell anything to the gurus because they're absolute. 
And, and that's another thing, as far as the absolute guru, that, that was another misconception that was put on in a PowerPoint, the idea that- Maraj, just to clarify, uh, are you suggesting that this whole approach was uh, due to Shidhar Maharaj? In other words, do you need to say- that I'm not, Yeah, I understand. I'm not, I'm, okay. not, I'm not blaming him. I'm simply saying because ultimately we're responsible for what we did. However, he did urge upon us a the same policy he urged upon the Gaudiya Math and which destroyed it as a unified institution. So we did not follow that. We kept the GBC in charge. As far as the famous or notorious Acharya board, let's put this in historical context. The fact is, it never really functioned as such. Rabindra Sarup is, 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 is making his case on an Acharya board, which in the real world never actually functioned in that way. And uh, because he mentions in his writing, and I agree with him, that if we're talking about eclipsing GBC authority, and of course Prabhupada defines the GBC authority in, in his last will, it's the authority to be the ultimate managing authority for ISKCON. And so in terms of managing gurus, uh, two cases would come up. One is choosing new gurus. The other is disciplining gurus uh, who have somehow misbehaved. Now, in the real world, and that's something Rabindra Suprabhu does not tell us in his 1994 paper, in the real world, whenever new gurus were established in ISKCON, they were established by the full GBC body, not by an Acharya board. Now, if I can ask one question. Uh, yeah. Well, senior. first of all, let, yeah, let, let me just conclude. You, you can stay on there. I mean, you don't have to keep disappearing. Uh, <laughs> so I, I want to complete this thought. So as far as choosing new gurus, whatever that resolution said, it was never followed. It never actually took effect. And all of the new gurus in the history of ISKCON were chosen by the first, by the GBC body. Secondly, as far as disciplining gurus, again, the Acharya board never actually did that. And the first serious case where gurus had to be disciplined in ISKCON was in 1980 in an emergency GBC meeting that took place in my house in the Los Angeles area. And there were three gurus who were acting in ways that were very troubling. Now, I want to make a very important point regarding time. We're talking about a period in 1980 when this meeting took place, when there's no internet, there, there are no cell phones, there's no texting, there's none of that exists. And so time moved much slower. So, for example, a, an administrative process, a GBC proceeding of, first of all, hearing about something going wrong, gathering information, making sure the information is reliable, having discussion of what should be done, and ultimately having a special meeting. Uh, nowadays, something that could take place literally within a week would take a year. And so the fact that this whole guru system began in 1978, and by 1979, 
within a year, and perhaps even late in 78, but certainly by 79, uh, we GBC members began to receive troubling reports about several, specifically three, uh, big gurus. And so the fact that a, a special meeting took place just to deal with this in 1980, if you take that and put it in today's time with the internet, what that means is that this meeting took place very, very soon after the system began. And the, the crucial point here is that no one, at least you know, no one that I can remember, ever suggested that, wait a second, we have three big gurus here that you, you know that have to be dealt with. It's the Acharya board. It's the special guru committee that's deal with it. No one said that, and no one thought that. And if anyone had suggested it, it never would have been taken seriously. So again, Rabindra Saruprabhu builds his case on a resolution which was in fact never put into practice. And uh, in terms of choosing gurus and in terms of disciplining gurus, that was only done by the plenary GBC body. Now, uh, about this specific point, uh, so you are saying an historical fact which is unassailable. All the GBC, were, all the decisions, resolution, choosing of gurus, appointing of gurus were done by the GBC, never by the Acharya board. Now, I heard from the proper disciple who at one point was serving as GBC, that happened also because the GBC pushed back and did not allow the Acharya board to do those things that the Acharya board uh, yeah, that, intended that, to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that is another uh, you know mythological history. The point is, first of all, that all of the eleven gurus were on the GBC, and since, as you said, there were twenty. GBC members at the time, that means most of the GBC were gurus. Well, at that time, in July 77, okay, by case, then there were 23. But, but, in, but in any case, it is absolutely false, and there is absolutely no evidence to the effect that the GBC, in fact, became split into GBC gurus and GBC non-gurus, and there was a political battle and the GBC non-gurus were pushing back. That that that's 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 not actually what happened. For okay. example, for example, uh, for example, I and many other gurus, not all of them, had good relations with with the non-guru GBC. So no, it was not pushed back. It was just a natural thing because we all in 1980. Let me give you an example. In 1980, one of the gurus who was having serious problems. Uh, was Hansa Duda, who was in charge of the Northwest United States, and he was based in Berkeley. So the situation got so bad there because of various serious deviations that I was sent to be ad hoc, temporary GBC in Berkeley. And so I went there immediately after that emergency GBC meeting, and I gave classes every day, Bhagavatam class, and every day I made the point very strongly, and this is a point that I had made before then, that the main qualification to be a bona fide guru is to follow the orders of your bona fide guru. And since Prabhupada had said that the GBC 
is the ultimate managing authority of ISKCON. It is only in the act of following the GBC that a guru can be bona fide with an ISKCON. Okay, let me ask you a question. Going back to this point, Ravinder Surprabhu uh, stresses in his paper, and we want to hear your opinions. Oh, oh, oh yeah, just, just one, excuse me, just one point. Ravinder Surup was not there. Okay. He was not present. And Ravinder Surup is talking about events at which he was not present. And mm -hmm. I do not remember him ever interviewing me to find out what actually did happen. Okay. Thank you for that note. Now, you mentioned that there wasn't really a, uh, a huge gap uh, between gurus, non-gurus. Uh, let me ask a question after showing a couple of slides. Can we go back to the PowerPoint? Next. So let's call it the, the language of uh, furniture. Mm. Uh, next. This is a group photo of the all GBC, gurus, non-gurus, guriastas, sannyasis, brahmacharis, and uh, some of you were familiar with Mayapur. You see the long building on the right. Uh, and uh, you can... Yeah but, yeah, yeah, but what is this? I see, I'm trying to stay focused on the main point here. And I'm, I'm coming to that, Marsh. Okay, okay. I'm coming to that. So uh, you can recognize uh, a number of faces from, le from left. You have yeah, yeah, but... but, 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 but Marsh, yeah. let, me, let, me, let me serve the conversation. I, 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 you have you left full chance to express yourself. No, but, but I just... You see, what we're talking about now is a number of things. It's like how many okay. people were on the GBC? Okay. Who voted? Yeah. What? Okay, okay, Marash. But let me let me let me ask yeah. the question, and then we'll we'll give you a yeah. full chance to answer. So we have a group photo, as you can see, they're all standing, uh, all uh, around Shira Prabhupada picture. Uh, next slide. The setting, the location is the same. You see the same uh, uh, long building. Apparently, it's a little later in the day that the shadows appear longer. And now we have a different group photo with only the 11 guru, acharyas, initiating spiritual masters. Uh, frankly, somebody may even wonder uh, who made all these vyasasans so shortly. But anyway, I'm not only commenting on this particular photo, which someone may take it uh, as speaking volumes about this social Conte, and uh, culture. Conte, so Conte, I would like you give me. You know, let, let me ask the let me ask the question, Marish. So I would like you to explain, and I will not. I will not. Yeah, because I will not interrupt. I will not interrupt you after I ask the question. After I ask the question, I will not interrupt you. So, Please ask the question directly. I mean, we don't, I mean, furniture, sure. shadows. What's the question? Yes. The question is, wasn't, I, I introduced this as the language of furniture, the language of symbols. You know very, very well that religion gives a lot of power to symbols. Now, this photo or the fact that there was Vyasasan established in his temples for Srila Prabhupada and for the gurus, 
what kind of message gave to the uh, we could say rank and file devotees about the position okay, okay. of the GBC and of the GBCs who were yeah, yeah. first of all let, let's stay focused on the main point and then, and then uh, you can stay on I mean please stay on Conte I mean we're talking to each other okay but we'll take out uh, the okay. PowerPoint okay, okay. PowerPoint off. here's the point you see I feel that picture is is very is really not to the point and I'll tell you why First of all, you have to understand, we're talking about a historical period when Prabhupada, who was everything for all of us, has just left this world. And so the fact that a picture was taken of the gurus in no way proves or disproves, it actually is irrelevant to establishing a historical fact that did the, guru, did the GBC members who are not gurus resent, bitterly resent, that that picture was taken. Now, in my particular case, I worked with several other GBCs, such as Jagajivan, such as Panchadavida, such as Balavanta in, in the South uh, East United States. And they were actually very enthusiastic and very supportive of what I was doing. So you can't show pictures of furniture and say, therefore, you know, no, we I'm asking, I only I show the picture and I'm asking you to explain. Okay. I don't come to any conclusion. But I'm saying at, from at you. the point, at, if you look at ISKCON, before certain gurus started seriously misbehaving and bullying and abusing God brothers and God sisters, not everyone, but some of them, when that happened, you started to get resentment. But before that happened, obviously, there, you, you know, it's not that 100% of a large society, everyone agrees on everything. But in general, we were all working together. To give an example, because I, I think what, what, what you're kind of implying, or maybe was this the case, is extremely anachronistic. And, and I'll explain what I mean. When I came back from Mayapur in 1978, right after the meeting, and I'm, I'm now you know officially... I didn't declare myself to be a guru. The GBC, using their ultimate managing authority, authorized me to do that. And a godbrother of mine, I won't mention his name, but it's someone who has not at all been favorable to the gurus, but still, he's a well-known godbrother. And he told me this story several years ago that I had forgotten. When I came back from Mayapur, I, you know, we flew back to New York. I was staying in the ISKCON temple in Brooklyn. In the evening, I walked over to his room just to reveal my mind. And I told him I did not want to become a big guru. That in fact, at that point in my life, I was kind of burned out from management and having to do all these things. What I really wanted to do is become a scholar. I also told him that I didn't feel qualified to do it, to become a big guru. Because as I will show, as I will prove, the ISKCON guru system, the way it evolved, was not something that 11 people imposed upon ISKCON. It was imposed upon me. And I'll give the details. He preached to me, you have to do it. Because everyone knew, first of all, ISKCON was under attack. The Gaudiya Math very quickly took advantage of Prabhupada's passing, some of the Gaudiya Math leaders, to try to take over ISKCON. And in fact, that happened in my zone in Latin America. It was, it was happening in various places. And so the message I was getting from my godbrothers when I didn't want to become a big guru 
is that if you don't do this, we're lost. Because the main argument of the Godian Moth in trying to destroy ISKCON or steal ISKCON was that we have these senior people who have Indian bodies and have been in the movement so much longer, you've got a bunch of neophyte gurus. So they said, if you don't take this position, we're going to lose everyone. Now, I began my service as a guru in Balavanta's zone. Balavanta was still a very good friend of mine. And uh, in, in the Southeast United States, I first went to Houston. The temple president in Houston was named Lashmi Narayan. He was literally about twice as big as me. He was like this really tall guy, and, and, and that's relevant to the story. He was literally twice as big as me. And so I walked into the Houston temple room. I was like, you know, a guru debutante. And I walked into the temple room and saw this big seat. Did I ask them to build it? No. Did I even know they were building it? No. And I looked at that and my first reaction was, I'm not going to sit on that. Because I'd spent my whole life as, as a servant of Prabhupada, you know, sitting on little seats. Lakshmi Narayan Das came and physically took me. I mean, he was a nice guy, but he kind of, he almost like physically picked, put me on the seat. Now, after that, I went to New Orleans. And New Orleans also, it's just, you know, it's just the way it was. There was another very big temple president. It was Brikodera. And uh, same thing, big seat. He came over and put me on the seat. And that happened everywhere I went. I called up, actually, before I even went to Houston, I called up the leaders in Latin America one by one. And I told them, I don't think I'm ready for this. You know, I, I don't think I'm ready to be a big guru. I'd like, and I actually told them, I would like to take a year off at least. Maybe I can chant like, you know, 700 rounds a day or something. You know, just desperately try to make some spiritual advancement. And they all told me the same thing. Every God brother leader in Latin America told me the same thing. You cannot do that. You must come down. You must take the position of a so-called big guru because if you don't, our movement's going to be destroyed in Latin America because of what the Gaudiya Math is doing. Okay. Thank you. Maharaj, just to clarify, yeah. I'm not implying that you or anybody else for the yeah. matter becoming guru, it was something wrong about that. I just uh, see that this the focus is the relation between gurus and non-gurus on the... But you see, but the, but the point I'm now, making... Now, just, uh, just another question. Another question. No, another no, question. I have to. I have another question, Maraj. Let me. No, I have to finish the point about that. I have to finish. Okay, and then, but then I'll ask another question. Then you can ask whatever you like, and that is the whole point I was making. My conclusion, the reason I was talking about how I became a guru and what my god brothers it said, is because the way the guru, at least in my area, in the Southeast United States and Latin America, there were others of the eleven who were very ambitious. Mm -hmm. I know that. And there were others of the other who were very ambitious, who imposed themselves, who even when their god brothers and god sisters weren't comfortable, forced it on them. And I know all about that. I mean, I could talk all day about these this abuse that took place. So I'm not saying it was good everywhere. I'm just saying in my life, the guru system that evolved was given to me by my god brothers, they're including GBCs. 
So you talk about, you know, 11 Guru GVCs, 10 non-Guru GVCs, but you have to add three who worked with me, so that's 14. So, so what, what I'm doing is I'm problematizing, I'm, I'm seriously questioning what I consider to be a false narrative, that at least in the beginning, like right off the bat, when that picture was taken of the 11 gurus, that it was kind of like the GBC, you know, the battle, the battle lines were drawn. In fact, in, and there's another point I just have to make, because unless you understand these things, there's no way in the world people can understand what really happened. And, and that's why we have here uh, interviewing yeah. you, Marsh. No, I appreciate it. And I, I don't mean to, you know, not let you speak and cut you off, but it's just there are things that unless you know these things, you can't understand what happened back then. Another thing, another thing is that, well, anyway, I, I should let you speak. I don't want to be rude, but. Um, no, uh, one, one, another question is it might not have happened in, in Latin America. Uh, in other places, what I heard, uh, sometimes direct from the from, from from the people themselves, is that one aspect of this quote unquote eclipsing was that in the zonal administration, say you have a guru. Let's let's make names. Let's let's uh, say Jagadish Prabhu in in uh, in Canada. He was not a guru. He was a GBC for Canada, and then. Uh, Kirtanananda at the time, uh, Maharaj, uh, uh, would initiate people uh, for, uh, initiate people in Canada. They would become... Yeah, I understand. Yeah, I, know, I know the whole story. Yes. So then, then, of course, they would start collecting in Canada, not for Canada, but then for New Vrindavan. So in other words... Uh, uh, I understand. The, it was actually... The GBC, yeah. the GBC was not guru. In some case, were kind of... Uh, uh, as you say, politically, uh, like a lame duck, it was at the position it, and they didn't actually, have the power. It was actually worse than you described it. Okay, there, there, were, there were cases like that. You see, the point I'm trying to make is it was a complex situation, there were different people involved, things were done very differently in different places. And so, in the case of Kirtananda he basically destroyed ISKCON in Eastern Canada. I mean, he what he was doing is he cannibalized, not only Canada, he, he was like, you know, he didn't just ruin temples in Canada. Basically, every temple that he had any authority with, he destroyed uh, to build up New Brindavan. So that included, for example, ISKCON Cleveland. It included ISKCON Buffalo. It included preaching projects in Ohio. He had this, uh, you know, this total obsession. Everything had to be for New Vrindavan. And it, I mean, I don't think Canada ever recovered because, and, and it, the Canadian leaders are very bitter. People like Uttama Sloka, people like Vishwakarma. And I was horrified by what Kirtananda was doing. So, yeah, so, 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 so that's a case where, but again, the exact opposite took place in Latin America. The exact opposite took place in Australia. You know, the, the exact opposite took place, let's say, in places like Gita Nagri, which was a huge, important project back then, and, and the whole zone associated with Gita Nagri. The opposite took place in, in the Western United States, in Rameshwara's zone. Now, so, so now in the case of, 
of, let's say, Bhagavan's Southern European zone. Yes, he absolutely used his position as guru to basically uh, completely subvert Prabhupada's system of regional authority, where temple presidents, you know, should be free to develop their projects. And so it was very different in different places. So if you want to say that in the majority of cases, the gurus just came in there like a wrecking ball and just took power, even if, you know, used their GBC guru position to smash temple presidents. In some places it happened. And it's not an accident that, um, you know, with the person that emerged as the big political organizer of the guru reform movement was not the theologian Rabindra Saroop. It was Bahudaka in West Canada. And the reason he did that or took advantage of the situation, he eventually left ISKCON and became, you know, well, basically a meat-eating atheist. But so he also, you know, didn't have pure motives, I would say. But he very easily rallied all the Canadian leaders because, you know, a lot of Canada had been just brutalized by Kirtan Ananda. And, and, and so if you're a historian, we're talking about history. And you have to look carefully. You have to look at the different gurus. You have to look at what I would say that in most zones, for example, uh, let's say Jayatirtha in the United Kingdom. I mean, he had other really serious problems that eventually cost him his life. But in terms of the relationship with temple presidents, he was, you know, they were a happy bunch. Of course, when, when, when he started doing crazy things, then, then the, it broke up. But when he was following the principles, uh, it was it was a really nice, happy yatra. There was a very you know loving relationship between the GBC guru and the temple presidents, and it was growing like anything. Good. So uh, we we established that definitely was not the same everywhere. There were different. Uh, nuances and sometimes very big very big differences i mean when you were talking uh about this i remember even in mayapur actually there was never like a pure zonal charge system because mayapur started with two right babananda maraj Maharaj. people here at least they had a choice between two now one question and and perhaps uh, we can shift uh, if you like a little more to the autobiographical uh, you, you had told me before that uh, about two things. One, that uh, obviously the only way you and your uh, colleagues, God brothers, were at seen being a guru was how Srila Prabhupada was a guru. So in one sense was the only reference uh, you had. Uh, and so maybe you could... Uh, elaborate on that. Also, I would like you to elaborate on the fact that uh, Srila Prabhupada uh, in selecting the 11 in July, uh, who later became the first 11 initiating spiritual master, chose a particular profile of the body. Yes, yes, yeah, thank you. Would you like to elaborate on that? Yes, please, thank you. Also, I want to apologize for interrupting you in the past. I guess what is coming out is that um, I spent most of my adult life uh, being, in my view, uh, demonized by a big section of ISKCON, including some GBC people. 
And I have to admit that, you know, Krishna says, even if you're a, you know, serious devotee, you have to, can't eat too much or too little. And so we have our human part. He said, you know, Prabhupada always said, don't try to imitate Raghunath or Prahlad Maharaj, you'll fall down. And so to the extent that I have my human nature, I've spent most of my adult life being demonized and vilified uh, within the movement I gave my life to uh, for reasons that I think are inaccurate. And so I, uh, you know, I do have some emotions associated with it. But as far as, uh, I'm sorry, could you please repeat the first question? The second one is the profile who Prabhupada chose, and the first one was? The first one is that uh, the only example you add, the only reference, oh, yeah. was the way Srila Prabhupada was a guru. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. And I do appreciate you giving me this form. And I really, I mean, I'll I'll buy you a, a lunch for to make and, it. And by the way, Maharaj, uh, you you understand I'm not an enemy here, and uh, uh, you you also know perfectly well that an interview should have uh, some of juice. Course. Of course, of course. Um, okay, here I am. It's 1978. I am 29 years old. You probably think I haven't aged much. Joke. Anyway, I was 29 years old. I'd been in the Hare Krishna movement eight years. And Prabhupada trained us very strongly. Don't trust anyone but me for spiritual matters. Prabhupada, uh, as far as the Gaudiya Math, you know, we consulted with Sridhar Swami in 1978, disaster. In 19, and then later, you know, devotees consulted with Narayan Maharaj, another disaster. Prabhupada personally told me not to visit the ashrams of his godbrothers. He personally told me that. Don't criticize them. Don't associate with them. So for me, for me, the authority was Prabhupada. I wasn't going to go to ask the Gaudiya Math, you know, how should I be a guru? That's the last thing I was going to do because they would have told me be an acharya. They would have, you know, I would have ended up worse than I did. And so as far as Shastra, all these things like, you know, what size seat do you sit on? Should there be special pictures of initiating gurus? Um, you know, should, the, should you have a special seat? Should it be in the temple room, outside the temple room? How high should it be? These are all details. There are no Shastra conjunctions about these things. Prabhupada didn't give any instructions on these things. These are all details. And so, so when we were like, dealing with this traumatic situation that Prabhupada just left, were being attacked by the Gaudiya Math, some gurus. Some Gaudiya Math gurus are clearly trying to sabotage what we're doing. It was very dangerous. It was very difficult. We were in a situation where we had zero experience. We'd never done it before. We had no idea. 29 years old. And so the only voice I heard inside of me was not something some Gaudiya guru said. It was Prabhupada beating into my head over and over again. Do what I am doing. Do not concoct anything. Do not change anything. I had no experience, no interest, and no faith in Indian gurus. Prabhupada was everything. I had no interest and no faith in any other guru on earth except Prabhupada. 
And Prabhupada said, don't change anything. Do what I'm doing. So that's what I did. I thought that I would be deviating from Prabhupada if I created another guru system for which there was no scriptural authority, there was no instruction from Prabhupada, and it was changing what Prabhupada had done. I mean, obviously, I knew that Prabhupada is much more advanced than me, that I can't sit on the same level as Prabhupada. I mean, I wasn't a complete moron. And I also understood that everything was by Prabhupada's mercy. So the fact that I did it that way, I was obeying Prabhupada's instruction to me. Now, here's a question. The G, and that is, let's say none of the 11 gurus had fallen down. Let's say none of them had abused or mistreated or bullied their god brothers and god sisters. Would it, would it have been obvious to everyone that the system as we set it up was wrong. Considering that it's a detail. How can a detail be wrong? A detail by definition in devotional service is right or wrong, depending on its effects. If you do things, if, if you apply a certain detail, not general principle, if you apply a certain detail and it has a bad effect, then it's not a good detail. If you apply the detail, and it has a good effect, it is a good detail. So in my zone, in my world, the effects were incredibly positive. The movement was growing like anything, despite my imperfections, which I was keenly aware of, uh, I was hanging in there. I mean, you know, I wasn't falling down. The movement was exploding. It was growing like anything. Souls were being saved. Prabhupada's books were being distributed in unprecedented numbers. So all the indicators I had were that this is working, it's great for Prabhupada, it's a detail, it's not a general principle, and therefore just keep going. So that was my experience personally. And as I saw my guru godbrother start to fall down one by one, I gradually came to the conclusion that this detail is just impossible. And therefore I changed my zone I removed all the big seeds, changed everything before, before it was mandated by the GBC. Because I understood that this practice, this detail is becoming a disaster in ISKCON. And so the personal experience I had was that when the, you know, the guru system was going on, I was the main person. Krishna knows this is true. And to be honest, I don't give a damn if anyone believes me because I know it's true and Krishna knows it's true. And that is that when the guru system was in effect, I was the main leader in the Hare Krishna movement, in the world, on the GBC, who was fighting to open up the system, to let all the Prabhupada's God brothers, uh, uh, sorry, disciples who were actually following, to have the same chance to be guru. One big guru who fell down later told me, I said, I said, we have to give everyone a chance. And he said, Tough luck, the world's already taken. And I thought, this is crazy. I wrote letters, I still have the letters. Before all these changes were made, before the guru reform, I wrote letters to the GBC saying that all the Prabhupada disciples should have the same right to be gurus if they're spiritually fit. It cannot- You told me, you told me that once you even banged your, your, your punch on the table during the GBC meeting, making this point. 
I had to bang my fist on the table to push through the first expansion of the gurus. I said, it's not just 11. So the first time, you know, we actually approve new gurus, two or three, I'm the one behind closed doors that pushed it through, you know, banging my fist, shouting. And then in 1985, in New Brindavan in the summer, which is by far the closest ISKCON ever came to splitting up. It, it was this close to ISKCON to breaking up in 1985 in the summer in New Brindavan. So at a closed session, emergency GBC meeting, I was yelling and shouting that you have to change the guru system. Because, and, and one of my very dear God brothers, still active, who's a guru, said, no, we can't do that until we have a constitution. I know. I thought that, my God, this is going to destroy Prabhupada's movement. So I had to fight and fight to get that through. So the point I want to make is that after doing all that, as soon as the reformers took power, uh, suddenly I was a demon. I was a villain. I was one of the bad guys. So I went from being looked upon as a troublemaker by the big gurus, and then as soon as reformers come in, and by the way, their telling of history is extremely flattering to themselves, gives no credit to those of us who were acharyas or gurus, whatever, and actually fought for the right thing. Zero credit, all credit to themselves, very flattering to themselves. And, and so I've had to live with this, you know, for most of my life, most of my adult life, live with this. And um, so therefore, again, I'm very grateful to you. Apologize again for interrupting you. I, because of what I've been through, uh, I don't think I'll ever fully recover from it. And maybe that explains some of my behavior in, in regard to GBC and everything. But uh, I, I think it's extremely important to ISKCON to know what actually happened. What should we learn for the future of ISKCON, say for the quote unquote 10,000 years? What should we learn? What, what should we learn? What should be the message of this period? What should be the uh, lesson? Um, very good question. Very, very good. That's a profound question. Um, I guess that we have to be intelligent. You know, Prabhupada says philosophy and religion. And ISKCON has constructed this mythological history, which, I mean, some points are true but a lot of points aren't true. And then decisions are made. GBC resolutions are passed. All kinds of things happen based on an, an illusory understanding of certain things. And I wanna say just, just one last point. Another context, which I think explains why the guru system came out the way it is in the places where it was actually abusive and it wasn't abusive in some places is because ISKCON at that time was pervaded by an authoritarian leadership culture. And the word authoritarian means, uh, you know, enforcing strict obedience to authority uh, and showing a lack, lack of concern for the wishes or opinions of others. ISKCON had this domineering authoritarian, I mean, which still exists in some places. It still exists in some places. So, so the fact that certain gurus were like that, you know, whether you're talking temple presidents, temple commanders, regional secretaries, GBCs, to this day in ISKCON, I mean, for, I, I think most ISKCON leaders today are actually just sincerely trying to do their best, whatever, you know, whatever ability they have. 
but there are still temple presidents in America, in Europe, in South America. There are GBCs in all these continents, not most of them. I think most of them are just trying to do the best they can, but there are absolutely GBCs, temple presidents all over the all over ISKCON who are bullies, who have who are exploiting the Hare Krishna movement to be little dictators and they push people around and they totally ignore Prabhupada's instructions that um, that uh you know, ISKCON is meant to make everyone independently thoughtful. One person shouldn't dictate to everyone else. And so they think if you have all the external symbols of a devotee, you can ignore the really important instructions, like how to treat other people. And and, and so the fact that certain gurus, uh, you know, were abusive or even cruel, mistreated other people, that still goes on. Obviously, back then, if you were a guru, you could do a lot more damage. But that tendency to be corrupted by power, to bully, to dictate, and not to give the proper respect to the people you work with, frankly, I wouldn't say in most places, but in some places in ISKCON, it's still a problem. And, and, and so it would be a big mistake to think, oh, uh, you know, we let people sit on these seats and, 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 that, and so now we took the seats away so everything's okay. No. This this tendency to, to be a petty dictator in ISKCON, authority, you know very well, I mean, very well what I'm talking about. And um, not because you did it, because you've experienced it. And so, um, so I think that's the lesson to learn, is that uh, one thing is we should, if we're talking about history, you can't do, with all due respect, what some of my godbrothers did, just declare that this was history. There's no analysis. You didn't go, the person who wrote those things you quoted did not go zone by zone, didn't have the slightest idea what happened in my zone, wasn't even there, wasn't on the GBC, doesn't really know what the attitudes were. There were lots of GBCs who worked with non-guru -GBC, non GBC God Brothers, and they had a great relationship. They so maybe in the next episode should be, uh, did the guru reform movement eclipse the GBC or eclipse history? Should we have an episode like that? I think so. My view, of it in, my view of it in retrospect is that there was a real problem in ISKCON with the guru system because of certain people who were misusing it. It was a real problem. It was an existential threat to ISKCON. It was that serious a problem. And however, the people that led the reform movement were also not so advanced. Some of them were equally ambitious and proud. And so basically you had these two opposing forces, neither of which really knew what they were doing. And I, I feel like I was, I was sort of trapped in the middle. If you look at the reformers, I'm not aware of any of the leading reformers that went on to have you know, illustrious preaching careers in ISKCON. Many of them fell down. You know, some of them are still faithful, you know, respectable Vaishnavas, but it's not that they had great preaching careers. And so you had, again, you had these two, you had these abusive gurus, and then you had reformers. And I think on both sides, uh, there were problems. Maharaj, we are almost at the uh, one hour mark. Yes. And uh, 
I would be willing to continue. I don't know what's your availability. Yeah, yeah, I'm. Uh, uh, I uh, we can go on again. I mean, I've said it about three times, but I really, uh, I do regret that I was kind of feisty. But uh, again, there's a lot inside. It's my, it's my, it's my fault, Maraj. Maybe I, I, I should not have asked those questions in that way. I asked, so I apologized. No, no, no. Any, any but I, I am grateful mistake. to have this opportunity and. Um, I take here one thing is you're talking about ISKCON history. Just like if you're a dentist or if you're an engineer designing a bridge, you have to know what you're doing. History is a serious scholarly area. And there's a way to do history properly. So, um, and a lot of ISKCON attitudes are not based on history. Or, or partially, obviously, it's not that none of it's true. And, and, and frankly, this is, you know, uh, uh, Dr. Thomas Hopkins, who is one of the best friends of ISCON in the academic community, passed away. He wrote an article about this, that, that the ISCON's dangerous uh, uninterest in its own history. For example, in this world, let's say you go into a respectable law school you're going to see these beautiful pictures on the wall of the deans of the law school or prominent professors. If, you, if you're, let's say, elected to parliament or to the US Congress, you have this very strong sense that you are stepping onto the stage of history, that you're going to be remembered. And this is not just, it's not only false ego, it is for some people, but it makes you very serious about what you're doing. I think one of the reasons ISCON has a real problem of finding qualified leaders is because there's so little dignity involved. If you become a leader in ISKCON, uh, you have to make sacrifices. You have to make sacrifices to be a leader of, of your personal life, your family life, and so on. And yet, you know, you're not going to be remembered. There's no, you know, there's very little honor in it. There, there are no external ways that we actually honor ISCON leaders to, to encourage people to, to enter into history by taking responsibility. And the same casual, uh, sloppy approach to history is seen by people writing papers and saying this happened and that happened when they weren't present and don't know what they're talking about. And um, sure, by the time by the time you had a lot of gurus who were just causing devastation in certain zones, and, and they weren't the majority, by the way. This wasn't the majority of gurus, but there were people, sure. There was a, there were all kinds of people. There were temple presidents who were just, that's why the whole guru reform was a temple president's movement. It's just like the French Revolution was a shopkeeper's revolution because they were the ones who were directly getting the most abuse from the government. So the temple president led this revolution, this guru reform, because they were getting abuse so much but it wasn't but where are the statistics like how many temples were in ISKCON and how many had this kind of problem how many were going well how many temple presidents were happy for example to give one simple example from ISKCON's political history um as the reform thing which is really it was a temple presidents movement based in Canada and North America 
And so they came to Mayapur. They thought, you know, they're really feeling our, they're, they were feeling their power. And Baudak, by the way, who was a, you know, his father was a politician and he was like a political operative. He was proud of being one, which probably didn't exactly want Nisqan. But so, so they gathered his temple presidents and they came to Mayapur to basically, ironically, sabotage the GBC system by demanding that, you know, that everything be done the way they wanted. I mean, ironically, they were also on the other side sabotaging the GBC, GBC system at least as much as these gurus. So what happened is Bhagavan, who at that time had this huge zone, you know, in Europe, he just brought all his temple presidents, dozens and dozens and dozens of temple presidents who were, of course, completely loyal to him, mostly his disciples, and they completely neutralized politically now. I'm not talking about moral principles. I'm talking about just hard political calculations. Completely neutralized these Canadian, you know, North American presidents who lost the vote. And, uh, you know, Baudak soon after left ISCOM. So, so all of these things were going on. It was, it, it was a very complex thing. And uh, you have- I believe you would like, before we finish, to come to the next question, which I ask uh, the one about the type of uh, uh, gurus, Srila uh, Prabhupada, or at least the type of devotees and leaders oh, yes, Shira yes, Prabhupada yes, selected yes. first to uh, first to represent him, give initiation on his behalf. Yeah. Now, uh, there are, as you know uh, very well, and there are a number of comments in our chat uh, that even that even attack that idea that actually Shira Prabhupada did not appoint any gurus. But be as it may, uh, at least till Shira Prabhupada was present, he gave the service of giving initiation on his behalf to a certain type of devotees. Yes, and yes. You may want to elaborate on that. Yeah, that's, that's a very important point. Thank you for reminding me. Um, first of all, like, like this whole rhythmic nonsense, which is, uh, that's, I mean, the word rhythmic in Sanskrit doesn't even mean surrogate. So w- one of the comical things is using a word which doesn't even mean what they think it means in Sanskrit. Secondly, uh, it's a moot point. Because Prabhupada said in his last will and testament that the GBC is the ultimate managing authority of ISKCON, and we did not begin acting as gurus until the GBC authorized us to do that. So whatever you think Prabhupada said, the GBC had the authority given by Prabhupada to continue normal Vedic culture. Regarding the type of people that Prabhupada chose, in 1972, when I took sannyas, and I was traveling with Satsarupa, and we were talking together about how happy we were that now we didn't have to manage, we could just preach all the time. And we both wrote letters to Prabhupada expressing this. And Prabhupada wrote back to both of us saying, you know, basically, you know, what are you talking about? He said, you do what I'm doing. In the morning I give class, in the afternoon I go to the bank. So Prabhupada, the role he played was he was obviously the ultimate spiritual authority and, and, and by far the most powerful preacher. But he also was the manager in chief. And so that's the kind of person. It's, it's like a father likes when his sons go into the family business. 
Prabhupada, when he chose 11 people, was choosing people who were, you know, in a, in a much smaller level, scale, like him. In Latin America, I gave, you know, I was the main person preaching, giving classes. But at the same time, uh, I was I was ultimately managing things. And, and so when Prabhupada chose the gurus, he only chose people who were preachers and managers. He did not choose one person to be a guru who was simply a saintly person. Let's say a devotee who was very studious and, you know, very good scholar of Shastra and had very good character. Like Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, uh, Vidya Vinaya Sampane, Brahmane, a Brahmana endowed with humility and learning. None. Prabhupada didn't choose anyone like that. He only chose people who were, had this sort of one-stop shopping, this all-in-one thing where you're the manager, the head manager, you're the head preacher. And then another thing is that when I found out, because I can, I mean, Krishna knows that before I was told I, I should do this, I never once in my life thought of becoming a guru. It was something I never, ever in my life thought of. So, um, but there was already a reality. Become, for me, becoming a guru didn't take place in a vacuum. It took place in an existing context. The context was that I was in charge of Latin America under Prabhupada. And Prabhupada very much, very much molded a culture in ISKCON in which I was, and you know, in my area and other people in their areas, I was in charge of everything. And when Prabhupada visited my zone in 1975, the last thing he said in his last class before he went to the airport was he told everybody to do whatever I said, to follow me. So when I became a guru, I became a guru in a situation in which I was already the exclusive leader in my part of the world. That was already my position. And um, it was inconceivable in my zone under Prabhupada, under Prabhupada, it was inconceivable that another preacher or sannyasi would just come to my zone and start preaching. It was unimaginable because that's not the way Prabhupada set up ISKCON. So I didn't interpret becoming a guru meaning that I should change the whole leadership culture that Prabhupada created. And so the idea that, okay, I'm already by Prabhupada's order in charge of everything ultimately in, in this zone, and now I'm a guru. So that was added on to an already existing leadership culture crafted by Prabhupada. And also we thought, I don't know what, you know, we have to figure out how to do this first. We were being attacked by the Gaudiya Math. And uh, so in retrospect, I mean, the last point I'll make is that it was definitely apadharma. In other words, no one in his right mind would ever have taken a 29-year-old guy like me, eight years in the movement, and said, okay, you're in charge of all Latin America, or you know, you're the guru for all of Latin America. Obviously, you wouldn't do that. You would want an older, more experienced person. But there's a term in Shastra, which is apadharma. That means emergency dharma crisis dharma and i just looked it up before we began 
it's used in the Bhagavatam in the special form, anapadi, which means when it's not an emergency. And so this term, anapadi, occurs eight times in the Bhagavatam, eight different situations, anapadi. And every time it means that you cannot do something if it's not an emergency. Meaning if it is an emergency, then you can do it. So when Prabhupada left, it was an emergency. And so therefore I had to step into a position for which obviously, I mean, it was 1978, it was probably the most miserable year of my life before or after I joined the Hare Krishna movement. I don't think I ever suffered as much in my life as I did in the year 1978. I mean, my health was ruined and it's just, it was just, it was terrible. It wasn't like, so, so, and obviously nowadays, if you've only been in the movement eight years, you know, you can hardly get a job as a bottle washer. So it's, it was an emergency situation. And if you consider, last thing I'll say, if you consider the story of Priya Vrata, he was very happily doing his bhakti yoga. And I was very happily just traveling around America preaching universities. And I, I can honestly say that I never once in my life thought of being on the GBC, never. I actually had all kinds of plans to expand my college program. That's what I was thinking of, I wasn't thinking. So then Prabhupada called me to his room and asked me to take over Latin America. And so I accepted and then things went well. I never once in my life thought of being a guru. In fact, and then Prabhupada, you know, Prabhupada left this arrangement. I tried to get out of it. I asked the people I worked with, you know, the temple presidents, other leaders. I said, I don't want to do this. They're the ones that practically forced on me. I mean, they were acting sincerely. They were trying to do what was best for Prabhupada. But it really was forced on me, this guru position. And therefore, I know that Krishna has protected me, just like he protected Priyabrata. Priyabrata didn't want to take a leadership position, but the great leaders of the universe said, just do it and you know, you'll be protected. And that's my personal experience. And I'm not the only one. I'm sure that was the case with Satsarupa. I'm sure that was the case with other people. So I, I think ISKCON needs to be a little more um, intelligent and start looking at these things in a more precise, careful way of what actually happened and what the circumstances were. Thank you, Marge. And we hope that uh, this series, uh, in all humility, might mm -hmm. have a little uh, role to play in this process of uh, historical analysis uh, and understanding, understanding the past uh, to create a better future. I believe uh, we should stop for today. Of course, uh, when we talk about the zonal Acharya time, uh, doesn't end in 78, doesn't end in 80. Uh, there is the whole process. Uh, you mentioned Guru Reform, 85. Uh, we did not touch today the 50-man uh, committee experience yes. Yes. in Mayapur. And I know you also have uh, things to say about that. We did not Touch, for instance, the apology that the GBC uh, produced in 1999. So, in other words, uh, 21 years after uh, the 1978 uh, appointments. So, uh, there's a lot more to explore. I hope you will be open 
to be our guest again and we thank you immensely for taking your time and accepting our invitation if you have some final words for our viewers listener present and of course this is recorded this will be in youtube in the gbc spt channel uh, if you have any final words for us just thank you very much i as you can see it's uh a bit of an emotional topic for me because it's it, it directly affected my life so much and almost destroyed my spiritual life i have to say it's another topic but um yeah but i'm very grateful to you for giving me this opportunity and uh i look forward to more discussions thank you so much Marash. Hi, a presto <laughs> certo